0: As uh, as I always am, very thankful that we have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to pray and speak to the Father in heaven and know Him, and uh, that He knows us. More importantly, uh, I, I can know people, but if somebody knows me, it makes the relationship different, right? Um, so, very thankful. In this great God, Uh, we look into 2 Chronicles today. Um, Last week we titled 2 Chronicles on second thought because it's a lot of what you find in the the book of the Kings. Uh, We're also going to look at some places today that are going to refer all the way back to the books of Samuel, uh, mainly because we've got to put all of it in context, right? So this is the last of the historical books in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew Bible, as we talked about last week, if you were to pick up a Hebrew Bible, the, the Chronicles are actually at the end of the Old Testament, uh, the way they kind of laid it out. And so this, uh, the last words in the, books of second, in the book of Second Chronicles are the last words in the, in the Hebrew Old Testament uh, because of the way the history runs. So, uh, and we shared it makes it a little bit difficult to study the Bible if you are just reading it book by book. And you aren't seeing necessarily that the timelines and how they overlap, right? And how they, how they walk with one another and how, you know, Isaiah is all in the Chronicles. But we, he's got his own book, right? So we don't know what all Isaiah says. We just know that Isaiah is, is, is um, affecting and influencing the acts that happen in the Chronicles. We also know that Samuel is... Is uh, affecting it. And Samuel came before the book of Chronicles. Isaiah came after the book of Chronicles. But it's in the sit- it's in the, the storyline. So it's kind of hard sometimes. And if we were to read just the entire book uh, chronologically, it's it's this the book of the first and second Chronicles. It spans thirty five hundred years. It talks all the way about Adam. It talks about Abraham. It talks about Isaac. It talks about Jacob. It talks about all the way to the moments that uh, Israel. Judah specifically come out of exile from Babylon, which we haven't even seen in the prophets yet. So a lot of of ground is covered in the books of the Chronicles. Uh, And so as we look at that today, um, one of the things that I like so much about it, um, they follow a lot of the same events in the Kings and the Chronicles. Uh, The Kings, as we talked about last week, which I want to just share a little bit again. I got this same table in my mind. Um, The book of the Kings was written before the captivity. The book of the Chronicles was written after the captivity. We talked about last week. If you write your story in the middle of a, of a thunderstorm, the story is going to sound differently than if you write it after you've come out of the thunderstorm, right? Because you're, whenever you're in the middle of it, you're like, I'm getting hit with water. I'm getting hit in my face with water. It's crazy. The waves are humongous. This is bad. This is bad. Well, then after you're out of the storm and you say, Tell me about the storm. You're like, well, I remember I was still warm in the, in the, in the, in the hole of the, of the boat, you know? You're not thinking about that whenever you're in the middle of it, right? You're, not, you're just thinking, how can I survive this? Whenever you get out of the storm, you're like, listen to how I got through this, right? It's a different perspective. I love the books of the Chronicles because it gives us that different perspective. It says, everything that you read in the Kings that seemed bad, 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 there was, God was still working, right? He, the people came back from exile, and whenever they came back from exile in Babylon, they, uh, the, their, their temple was in ruins, but God's, God's presence wasn't gone, right? The, the throne of David was destroyed, but the line of David was still very much alive. And so we see in the Chronicles this piece that God was working the whole time. We see in the Kings, it's a standpoint of the prophets, so it's historical, very human. We see in the Chronicles a standpoint of the priests, which is very historical, divine. Um, We see that uh, the Kings embraces the northern kingdom's history, Israel, all evil kings in Israel in the northern kingdom. We see in the Chronicles, it's, uh, a primary, it ignores the history of the Northern Kingdom. It is all about the line of David and Judah, the nation of Judah. We see um, in uh, the Kings was written, as we said, kind of in the middle of the storm. So it's in the chaos. We see in the Chronicles, it's written um, really in the calm of a library, is how I like to think about that one. So um, it's not written in the chaos, it's written in the calm. You're able to reflect back and see what happened. It's a beautiful, beautiful place in the scripture to be. Um, In the Kings, you see what happened. In the Chronicles, you see why it happened, right? Um, In the Kings, you see the facts of history. In the Chronicles, you see the philosophy of history. So, not that there's not timeline and events in Chronicles, but it gives you a little deeper perspective. Up to what's happening, And so as we look in, uh, in the Chronicles, uh, most likely, most scholars believe Ezra is the writer of the Chronicles. He is the chronic- chronicler, if I can say it that way. Um, and so in the beginning of the, uh, the, the reign of uh, whenever the exiles came back, I want you to remember these are people that were called by God uh, to have this land. Well, they were exiled and they were slaves in Babylon. So whenever they came back, they came back to a ruined place, uh, a a deserted, demolished, you know, just imagine, I I went back a couple of months ago um, to the place I grew up, the place I grew up before I ever came here, when I was in middle school and high school. I went back to this place in Morgan County. And I was driving out, I was doing a workshop for a couple of churches. And as I was in there, um, we, I, I took my kids, you know, they were in the car with me. My wife's in the car with me. And I'm driving through my old stomping grounds. You know what I'm talking about? And, and let me tell you, Wartburg has not changed much in the, the 35 years that I've been, 30 years I've been gone or whatever. And so I'm driving, I'm showing where my barber shop is and there's still the barber shop pole outside, you know, and I'm showing, it was right across from the courthouse. No big deal. My barber worked right across from the courthouse. I know it's a big deal. Uh, so we, uh, we were driving around this old, this old town, and um, there was a couple of places Though I was like, well, here was our hangout, and I looked over, and the building was gone. And it kind of broke my heart a little bit. I was like, that's where we used to go hang out. When I started driving, after school, I would drive right over there, and I'd hang out with all my buddies. It was in a, it was a pizza place, okay? It was, it was a pizza place, and it was gone. It was demolished. And there was this little sinking feeling in my heart. So much so, my youngest daughter starts making fun of, me, fun of me from the back seat. I was like, and girls, and we stopped. I pulled into the little parking lot. So this little building broken down, had some chains in the parking lot. I pulled in there. I said, girls, this right here is where I used to hang out with my friends. We used to eat pizza. We would eat. They had this buffet in there. Let me tell you, it was like $4. It was $4, and I ate my weight in pizza in this place. I was like, this is my, I said, I am so sad. I said, "Girls, if this teaches me anything, you can't trust anybody in life because this is miserable." <laughs> you know, and so much so. My youngest daughter was like, "Dad, how old are you?" You know, like that was that was what happened. I could almost imagine, uh, you know, in a, in a bigger, greater scale, these that came back from exile show back up, and the temples, it's it's torn down. I mean, can you imagine the place we worshipped, demolished, gone in ruins? rubble now is the walls around the city, like just broken down. And so there, there's this depression that's coming in, right? These people that have gone back to their hometown thinking about how great it was, because here's what I also learned. It, you know, I had somebody tell me one time, it was never as great as you think it was. And I'm like, what do you mean? It was? Of course it was great. That pizza tasted delicious. Like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, it was $4.00. In Wartburg. There ain't nothing tastes good in Wartburg. I've eaten, I ate at all the other restaurants while I was there. Nothing tastes good in Wartburg. It couldn't have tasted good. There, it was a tough, tough thing. It was never, it's never as great as you think it was. And as I, but, but that's what we do, right? Because when we remember something, we remember the good moments. I didn't remember the taste of the pizza. I remember the fellowship of my friends, right? If I was writing in high school, about Partners Pizza, they're in this... Now, the good news is, guys, just so everybody's aware, Partners Pizza has moved. They have a new location. There's a new location in a 20-year-old building. Still not sure how that worked. But the, uh, I, I, if I was to write about my Partners Pizza experience whenever I was there, I'm going to write about how delicious the pepperonis are. I'm going to write about this, that, the other. But looking back, I write about whenever I saw my friend Tyler and my friend Robbie and my friend... And, and how we experience life together, Right? It's a different its mindsets. Ezra writing, the chronicler, or whoever chronicles this, is writing saying, Listen, guys, it it was it was beautiful, but not because of the splendor of the temple, but because of the presence of God in us. And so let's look at our at our time. So in 2 Chronicles, it begins with Solomon. And so I'm not sure exactly, uh, the, whenever I started reading the Chronicles, especially the first and in, in, in the beginning of the second book, uh, which is really the first half, because Chronicles was written as one book, right, one document. And so in the first half of that document, it's a lot about David, it's a lot about Solomon. And I'm like, why did, the, why did, the, why did Ezra, if he was truly the, the one who chronicled this, why was he spending so much time on these great, great kings and and a little t- and and less than half the time on the fall of Judah because what happened I, 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 for our purposes today I'm looking at it in two sections one Solomon and then two sunsetting because it gets it gets bad after Solomon there's some issues there's a few moments where you start to see a glimpse of the light again but it, it gets pretty rough. And so I'm not sure um, why, the, why uh, the writer decided to put so much time into this other than just the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and for us. But uh, I want to look at these in two different pieces today. I think sometimes we need, uh, whenever we are remembering things and when we're going back to our history, we need to remember the good things. We need to remember the good things. M- the majority of what we need to remember are the good things. Um, I think that we do need to be reminded, though, as the Chronicles reminds us, every, every fail in Judah's history had to do with them leaving the presence of God. That's what it had to do with. It was them try, following after other gods, building idols. That was every problem of the nation of Judah. And so I, I think we need to make sure that we keep this in perspective. So as we start in 2 in Chronicles, the first chapter, I'm going I'm to walk through this, try to do this chapter by chapter. And so we're going to kind of summarize as we look at this survey purpose. Uh, But there's a couple places that I want to land today because they just spoke to my heart as I was going back through the book of 2 Chronicles. Um, There's a lot of reading in this. There's a lot of reading in this. So I'm going to try my best to not read quite so much this morning. Um, It's all in my brain and it's all shuffled up. So um, we're going to look I'm going to try to go chapter by chapter, but we'll we'll, uh, put some together. But the uh, first chapter is basically all about Solomon being wise and being wealthy. Okay, that's what it is. It's Solomon, how wise he was, how wealthy he was. Um, it goes on, uh, we also see that in 1 Kings. Okay, I told you how the timelines are, uh, you know, 1 Kings doesn't just follow 1 Chronicles and then 2 Kings follow 2 Chronicles. That would be great if it lined up that way in my own brain, but it doesn't. So we will find this, uh, how, how wealthy and how wise Solomon is uh, in 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, but in, second, in the second chapter, after it talks about how wise and how wealthy Solomon is, uh, it talks about how he secured all the materials, made all the preparations to build the temple. That also is found in 1 Kings chapters 5 through 7. Um, and this is where King David, if you remember, was, uh, he was told he couldn't build the temple because he was a man who shed blood. He was a man of war, not a man of peace. So David couldn't build the temple. Uh, Solomon is, gets to be the one, his son, gets to be the one to build the temple. But David... Made all, the, made all the preparations. He bought all the materials, okay? He, he, he bought it all, had it all ready. When Solomon got there, he began to secure all the materials together. He made preparations. And then chapter 3, he builds the temple. But there is something absolutely spectacular that happens in chapter 3. I did not even realize... And th- listen, these are mirrored accounts. We've already talked about Solomon building the temple before, right? But listen to how first, uh, Second Chronicles... Um, uh, starts in chapter 3. It says this, Then Solomon, verse, verse 1, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. That's the first verse. Now, in, in the books of the Kings, where it talks about Solomon building the temple, it doesn't explain it that way. Here's what I realized after I explained it that way. Y'all ready for some chill bumps? I got them, I got them over and over again. This is, this is amazing. So if I were to ask you a question and say, we, we know King David, right? We all, uh, we, we know of King David. We know who he is. We know how he, how he served, how he loved, how he shepherded God's people, all that. But if I was to, to poll everybody in the room and say, what were David's two worst mistakes or sins? Here's what we would say and we would be right. His sin with Bathsheba, right? That's a bad one, man, that was bad. And then we would say the census that he took, because if you remember uh, in our study, David said he listened to Satan and he took a census of the people. We would say those are the two worst sins that happens in David's life. And that would probably, if we're ranking sins, probably correct. Chapter three, verse number one, says that uh, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord, on the Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father, David, how was Solomon the son of David? Well, if you remember the story, after David, his sin with Bathsheba, he sends off Uriah, her husband, murders him, right? And then, then David, she, Bathsheba gives birth to a son, he dies. and then Bathsheba and David get married. They have a son named Solomon. Solomon, his parents are Bathsheba and David. So, already, I'm getting chills because I know where this is going. Already, we see that God can redeem things, right? God can redeem a bad mistake that you made. He can redeem it. So much so, and listen, where it also tells where this happened, on Mount Moriah. And then it says, where the Lord had appeared to David his father, uh, in the place that David had appointed, on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. When was David there? Well, he was there as a result of the census that he took. He ended up purchasing that property because he was trying... He was, And then he, he made a sacrifice there to, to get forgiveness from the Lord for listening to Satan. So get this, right in the middle of David's two biggest mistakes, I mean, at the very crossroads of it, God says... That's where I want to build my house to be worshipped. Why? Because our God redeems, and when He redeems, that's the moment and place we can worship. Here's what that means to me, and we this this big giant cross in our in our parking lot. This big giant cross. There are people that show up there every day. We yesterday in our staff meeting, uh, Miss Jennifer Pinkston came up and she was um, she she brought this little journal. There's a little journal that sits out at this cross that people can write prayer requests in. The journal looks terrible, I'll be honest with you. It's weathered, it's all it's it's like kind of curved up at the edges. But she handed me this journal, she said, Hey, you can read through some of these. I pray through these, and these are prayer requests and things. I opened up, and start reading, and people were talking about just this, this place. They're like, This place at this cross has just been a moment of hope for me, it's been a moment of this for me. Like it's just been and, and there's just so many just pouring out of these, these prayer requests. And it was awesome because I got to see all these people that come to the foot of this cross. Here's what I realized. This chapter, this verse in the Bible has, ra- has rocked me to the very core, because here's what God is saying. In the middle of your worst mistakes, you can find me, and that's where you can worship me. See, I, I can go to the cross of Jesus, where all of my sins were put on the perfect Son of God, and all of his wrath was poured out. It's... I'm telling you, if you really want to know what gets your pastor to connect with the heart of God, it's going to the cross. Like, that's, that's where it is. Like, it is at the cross, where my sin and his perfection meet. Whenever I look at this scripture, and again, that's just one, that's one verse, and I, I could go for days, <laughs> I mean days on this, but I just looked, I, I saw that in this survey time. And again, part of it is, as I've been reading through these, these books of the Bible, I mean, we, we've four weeks, in four weeks, we've gone through these four books, you know, specifically five books or so. And, and it's been a lot. But as I've kind of layered it over and taken this step back, I didn't even realize that... And I, I knew the temple was on Mount Moriah. I, I knew that. Like, I knew that, David, I knew that Solomon was David's son. Like, I knew that. I, like, I pulled it all, But the way the Chronicles tells me is when it looks back, it's like the son of David and the place that David so ideally it's he's building a temple Solomon Solomon is now building the temple on David's property because God took the two worst instances in David's life and redeemed it and made it all and he does it the primary place of his worship is right in the middle of it like i just i don't know that one's a free one chapter 4 he goes on uh, and we see that Solomon furnishes the temple uh, it gives all these different furnishings, and you can even look at a couple of different places in Scripture to see uh, all, the, all the furnishings that came into the temple. Um, there was the brazen altar, there was the lavier, there was the tin stands, the golden incense, the lampstands. There's meaning to all of that. We're not going to jump into the meaning of all that, um, but that's what happens in chapter 4. And then chapter 5, the first act of dedication to the temple. Solomon brings the Ark of the Covenant back from the tent that David had put in it. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we know that David had brought the Ark of the Covenant and and he put a tent up around it. And so we we find that in 2 Samuel. And so what Solomon does when the temple is first first built, he dedicates it by saying, we need to go grab this this piece of furniture and we need to put it in the place because this is the place God is going to be worshipped. And so we want to bring the very piece of the presence of God and put it right in the middle of his house. Like, that's what we want to do. So that's the first act that he does. Places it in the sanctuary there in the temple, uh, which is a beautiful, awesome thing. And then in, t- in verses 11 through 14, you can go read this on your own time, of chapter 5, um, it says uh, uh, that all these people came together, and it was this mighty, awesome, amazing thing. And then verse number 13 Uh, It says that the house of the Lord of God was filled with a cloud. And then verse 14. So the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So here's what happens after they bring in the Ark of the Covenant. um, And this worship service breaks out because the presence of God is in its rightful place. And again, the, the presence of God is like a cloud that fills the room. So much so, the people that were in there ministering couldn't stand to be in there anymore. Like, they, were, they couldn't even be in his presence because his presence was so heavy and so evident. They had to walk out. They were like, we can't even, we can't even be in here. We're going to let God have a moment alone in his house because this is... This is, we can't even be in his presence. Like That's how amazing he is. That's how awesome he is. My body can't even withstand it, uh, the way that he writes that word. And so we see that happen in chapter 5. Chapter 6, Solomon prays. Uh, this is the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. Uh, Solomon uh, prays a lot. He's very wordy in his prayer, but his prayer has multiple levels to it. I encourage you to read chapter 6. Of, um, of the book of 2 Chronicles, a lot about that prayer time uh, points to just the different pieces of the nation, right? He, he really walks through how to, how to pray for, for the, the move of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the conviction of God's people, uh, and all of that within the nation. It's a really great place in the scripture. Uh, after his prayer time, chapter 7, uh, we see the glory of God come down again. Listen to what it says in chapter 7, the very first verse. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then verse number two, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Man, I love the fact that whenever God's glory fills a house, even the priests who are like, who should be prepared for this, right? They're like, we thought we were prepared. We had no idea. He's, he's way, way more glory-filled than we even imagined. Like, he is so, so good. This comes after great prayer time, uh, great, after great acts of obedience whenever he brings the ark. There's a great move of God, and his presence is so, so overwhelming. Then there's this great prayer time from the people, and there's this great connection uh, with God. And in this great prayer time, his glory comes down as fire. It's amazing. Uh, Down in verse number 12 there, uh, we will see that uh, God begins to speak back to to Solomon. Verse number 12 of chapter 7 says, The Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for my house, for myself, as a house of sacrifice. And then he continues on, and this is where um, we see a really great uh, couple of, of of verses that we will share a lot of times in the Scripture. Um, in verse number, because then after after God reveals himself to Solomon, he says, I've heard your prayer, chosen this place. Verse 13 says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And then verse 14, which we've used this this verse millions of times most of the time we use it out of out of context but it says this in verse 14 if my people who are called by my name humble themselves pray and seek my face turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven will forgive their sin and heal their land now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers that are made in this place as he goes on in this place in this text uh, he's telling Solomon, listen, I, I am God, but I will hear. I can hear you. I Don't think that I have gone deaf to you. As Ezra... Now remember, historically, this is written after they have come out of exile. Do you know after you've come out of a, of a, of a moment of slavery, of years of, of oppression, of years of, does God even hear me anymore? You know, there's those moments. And so what the, what the chronicler does, he says, I want you to remember that God in heaven still hears us. We've just got to make sure we repent, we fall on our faces before him. And remember, this is, they're looking at a broken down land by the time they're reading this. right Now, this was written about times way before they're, they're living in. But what, what the, Ezra is teaching the people of God is, listen, we look back to those glory days like that's the only time God was listening to us. But I'm telling you today, God will hear you from heaven right now. Like, let's humble ourselves today and he will heal our land. This crop that's been dead, this promised land that was once something flowing with milk and honey has now been devoured. But I'm telling you, if we will humble ourselves... And we will listen and pray to the Lord and seek his face. He says, In this place, on this mountainside, come to me so that I can hear from you. And he's asking that, not because God is focused in on a certain place. Now I can we can talk about geographically what God is doing among all around the world and with the people of Israel, with the land of Israel. There is still, listen, it's Israel's land. Okay? Nobody's taking it from them. They think they are. It, God's like, you can borrow it right now, but I'm taking it back. There is but there is this is more of a a moment of repentance and saying, Hey, this is, I can hear from heaven. It doesn't take a certain spot, but I want you to put a little effort in. I want you to get to this spot so that I know you're ready to, to uh, approach me. Mount Moriah, this little mountainside was not an easy one to climb up. There was valleys all around it. And God's saying, you come up here and you put the effort and the work in and get to me because here's what I've learned about God. If if I ever want to spend time with Him, if if I put in, if I just run in, and just say, if I were to run in here on Wednesday morning, drop all my stuff, throw my microphone on, and just say, okay, we're going to jump in. Here we go. It's His word doesn't it doesn't go out void. But here's what I've realized: my heart's not ready for it, right? I've got to be in my own. I've got to work a little bit before I can really walk into the presence of God. I've got to not not that His presence is dependent on my work. But it's my own heart. It's my own direction. It's how I am seeing what God is doing. So he tells the people there in chapter 7, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, seek God, and this will be amazing. He will meet with us. It'll be beautiful and awesome. Then chapter 8, it talks about Solomon doing some things. Uh, He's built the house of the Lord. He's built his own house. Which, by the way, it took him twice as long to build his house than it did the Lord's house. Just a, that's just a note of history there. Um, it's, uh, and, and you can see this in 1 Kings, uh, to see the, the story of what all happened there um, in 1 Kings, specifically chapter 9. It talks about uh, what happened with his, with his buddy in the first part of this. But then um, we see a lot of how, how Solomon strengthened the kingdom here. We see a lot about how Solomon did good things to, um, uh, to make the, the kingdom of Israel strong. Then he worships God in chapter 8. And as he worships God, he gives this sacrifice. Solomon was always great about about sacrificing and about going to God in these early days um, of his his reign, Uh, specifically verses 12 through 16. We see how uh, he was worshiping the Lord. Uh, But then we see uh, in chapter 9, this lady visits, the queen of Sheba visits. This is a weird one. I'll be honest, this is kind of a weird uh, place in the scripture for me because the Queen of Sheba comes in and she says, Blessed be the Lord, and you you got she's she's wowed by Solomon's house. Like wowed by it. In fact, she's so wowed by it. Even in chapter, even in verse number four of chapter nine, she mentions how incredible the food is. What don't you think about that for just a second? That made it in the Bible. Like how good the food is at Solomon's house. Uh, this is just proof to me we should eat good. Like that's what this is to me. You know what I'm saying? Like we should eat really, really well. But the way she says it, in, or the way it says it in verse number four, the food of his table, the seating of the officials, the attendance of the servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, their, clo- uh, their clothing, his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no breath in her. She was breathless, Because the the food tasted so good. The people were dressed so wonderfully. This was extravagant. And this woman, and this is part of Solomon expanding his kingdom, right? He was a great, um, uh, we would call him an entrepreneur in our days. He was a great connector of people. He was a great expander of territory. A great uh, putting good uh, relations together uh, internationally. This is part of what Solomon was doing. Now, I, I have the question, though at the end of chapter 8, what, uh, or at the end of chapter 9, what does this do for the people of God, though? This is when Solomon begins to, to, uh, I, I think there's a shift in his life where he begins to focus more on the power and the wealth and the prosperity and the connections of the world, rather than the connection of God to his people. Now, there's a overlying term, and and you don't see that unless you're really taking a big step overview of it and looking at it kind of survey-wise, because this this moment begins to start to shift some things uh, in the Chronicles. And again, Chronicles doesn't talk much about uh, Solomon's uh, issues, we'll say, Uh, but after this text, after this this chapter, uh, we see that Solomon's got all kinds of money, he's rich, He's rich, he's rich. The Queen of Sheba even says it, and she's wealthy. He's, got, he's rich, rich, rich. And then um, she's impressed with it, impressed with everything that he's got. We see he's, he's again, in the, last, the second part of chapter 9, he's rich, he's rich. And then we see at the end of chapter 9, he's dead. That's it. Like, that's what we see in chapter 9. And then Solomon's gone. Um, after chapter 9, we begin to see the second part of this um, uh, this Bible study today, and that's the sunset of the people of Judah, the decline. Um, we know, we've talked already in this survey time of Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son, who comes in, he's arrogant, didn't listen to his father's counsel, right? We talked about that in 1 Kings, our study of 1 Kings, but this is where we find him literally asking the, the Solomon's wisdom counsel uh, for some wisdom. The, the, the nation of Israel has now split Now it's the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Here we are, right? Rehoboam's the first king of Judah, and specifically, and we see him going to Solomon, his dad's counselors, which should be the wisest on the planet. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. His counselors had to be wise. And what Rehoboam does is he says to his dad's counselors, should I do this? And they were like, no, don't do that. Then he goes to all of his partying buddies. He says, should I do this? They were like, absolutely, man. Let's go get them. Let's go do it. Attack the northern kingdom. We'll show them. We're going we're gonna to show we're stronger. We're going to show we're better. We're going to show we're this. That ended up biting him really bad. Um, it ended up blowing up in his face. He threatened Israel, the northern kingdom, um, and it just ended up terrible bad. He listened to the wrong counselors be careful who you listen to, right? We've said that. I've said that over and over again through this study. I'm learning more and more in the Old Testament. Like, it's a lot about who we listen to. Like, it's a lot about who we listen to. Early on in our study, I remember saying the phrase, be careful what you learn because that's all you know. Like, be careful what you learn because that's all you know. If you didn't learn it, you don't know it. So be careful who you're listening to and what you're learning. Chapter 11 goes into um, the kingdom and the family, specifically of Rehoboam. Uh, Chapter 12, we see Rehoboam actually uh, humbled himself and because of that was delivered, because of that was rescued. You know, God said, and we, I mean, literally, this is a page after God says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. (laughs) We see now a couple pages later in the Bible, and this is several years after, but we see a couple pages later, Rehoboam actually humbles himself when he does, God spares Judah from destruction from Egypt. Egypt was coming after him. It was going to be ugly, going to be bad. Um, but in, in verse number 12 specifically, uh, it says, And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned away from him. Thank you, Lord, for turning your wrath away. In uh, so chapters uh, 11, 12, 13... We see this kind of shift Uh, in chapter 13, specifically another um, uh, king reigns in Judah, and we see that uh, he defeats um, uh, Jeroboam in battle. It's this great moment, great scene. But chapter 14 is whenever we get to a little bit of a revival, Um, and I say revival, I don't know if it's necessarily revival or if it's just straight-up repentance uh, before revival comes. But we see King Asa reigns in Judah. He breaks down all the... He he removes all the idols. Um, He... Judah, the nation of Judah, prospers under his leadership and their enemies are all defeated. It's this... Chapter 14 is great. It's this wonderful light uh, that comes in in the book of 2 Chronicles. We see uh, in chapter 15 then, um, revival comes. The Spirit of God came upon uh, Azariah, the son of Obed, um, went out to meet Asa. So here's what happens. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah. Azariah then goes to the king and says, Hear me, the Lord's with you while you're with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Be careful who you listen to, because, and be careful what you learn, because that's all you're going to know. When this Spirit of God was on Azariah, he goes to the king and explains to him, Listen, the Lord's told me something. The Lord has come on me and told me this. And so Asa begins to follow after the Lord. They're given a time of peace. Man, for the first time in a while, Judah has some peace. Like, why do they have peace? Because they finally started listening to the Lord, right? They got rid of the idols. They got rid of the worship of false gods. And now they have peace. If you're looking for peace, be careful who you listen to. Otherwise, you may not find it. In uh, chapter 16, um, Asa ends up, turning from the Lord. Oh, come on, Asa. We were so close, right? We were so close. Uh, he goes into battle. He turns from the Lord, away from the Lord. Um, and then, because um, uh, it says even in verse number 12, he didn't seek the Lord. Uh, in the, it says in the 39th year, he was, diseased, he was diseased in his feet and his disease became so severe, yet in his disease, he didn't even seek the Lord. Even whenever he was struck with a disease, he didn't turn to God. I, I'll be honest. If... If I, have a, uh, if I have a headache, I'm praying, Lord, please, right? Please get rid of this headache for me. I can't, you know, there's, there's these moments. The more diseased you, ha- you are, the more typically you rely on the Lord, the more you go to the Lord, especially King Asa, right? He had seen revival. This was a, this was a, a great leader for a moment. And even when he was diseased, he didn't even turn back to the Lord. Wouldn't do it. Even God's like, what can I do to bring you back to me? I'll strike you with a disease. Why? Not because I hate you, because I love you. And when you're with me, you have peace. Asa was in battle, and now he doesn't listen to the Lord. He has no peace anymore. He's even diseased, and he still doesn't turn back to the Lord. It's awful. It's terrible. It's, it's, it's horrendous. Can we learn from Asa a little bit? Then in chapter 18, we see Jehoshaphat, uh, he allies with Ahab, and oh my goodness, it's a bad move. Um, Ahab ends up wounded and dead uh, in chapter 18, and um, as we see these uh, these, these pieces uh, grow, um, Jehoshaphat in chapter 17, just before we get there, he's, he's faithful and there's peace with people around him, but then he makes this mistake. He allies with Ahab. Ahab is a bad dude, awful bad. Uh, he's wounded in a battle and dies in the chapter 18. Uh, Ahab, that is. Um, Jehu rebukes uh, uh, Jehoshaphat in chapter 19, which is a very important move um, because then Jehoshaphat changes. His heart changes. So be careful who you listen to, right? I, I could almost name the Bible today. Be careful who you listen to. He's listening now to Jehu who says, how dare you ally with Ahab? This was not good. So Jehoshaphat says, okay, I've got to do something different. I've got to make an adjustment. Now, if Asa would have just adjusted, right, there would have been more longer peace. Jehoshaphat says, I'm going to make an adjustment here. And so he sets up these judges over Israel, over over Judah. He sets up these judges now that will help lead and lead properly. So it's not all on him, right? He doesn't want it to be all on him. So he does this. And chapter 20 is one of my favorites. I told you in 1 Chronicles, I had a favorite story. In 2 Chronicles, I have a favorite story. It's chapter 20. Um, Jehoshaphat, the king, stands up in front of everybody and he prays. And as he prays, he, he calls the whole nation to a prayer and fast. He says, every one of us, we are going to solely rely on the Lord. We're going to go to the Lord. So they're praying publicly. Jehoshaphat, the king, is praying out loud publicly with this group of people. And then it says in chapter 20 that the Spirit of the Lord, um, it says uh, in verse number 14 of chapter 20, um, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite, the son of the sons of Aspah. The, uh, it says, In the midst of the whole assembly. So there's this guy who most scholars believe he's probably a teenager. Okay, probably a teenager. Uh, he is uh, Jehaziel. He's, he's in this assembly of the people of God. They're all praying, right? Everybody's praying, everybody's fasting, everybody's doing this stuff. And this, this random guy, this teenager, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. And then in verse 15 and following, what you'll see is he stands up and he says, we're about to go into battle, but here's what God's telling us. We're not even going to fight this battle. He's going to fight it for us. And then there's worship that breaks out. They're like, we just heard from God. The battle still hadn't happened yet. I want you to think about this. They knew the enemy was coming. There was a battle on the front lines. It was about to be awful. They all pray and fast. And when they do, the Spirit of God speaks through a teenager, right? Let's not let anybody look down on us because we're young, okay? The Spirit of God speaks. And when God speaks, worship happens. The enemy's still there, the enemy's still ready to crush them. The enemy is still the battle lines. And here's what they say God's spoken to us we're going to be okay. If we would just have the faith to say, God has spoken to us, we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I love chapter 20. It's so good. And then we see through, and I encourage you to go read chapter, the whole, all of chapter 20 today. It's so good. At the end of chapter 20, we see that God, guess what? He delivers them. It's so great. It's amazing. Um, chapter 21, we see uh, Jehor, Jehoram um, doesn't follow God. Uh, and in chapter 21, this is one of those places that's like, if you're a good student minister, you teach this because it's a gross story in the Bible, right? So chapter 21, uh, this guy, this king doesn't follow the Lord. Elijah actually gives him, sends him a letter. And the letter is like a prophecy, a letter that's not, this is not the letter you want to get as a king. So God strikes this king with a disease in his bowels. Yeah, ugh all of us are just like cringing now, right? Like that's, it's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. This stri- strikes him with a disease in his bowels and he dies. Uh, you can read in chapter verse number 18, uh, where he's, uh, got this, um, uh, verse number 18, I'm sorry, uh, where the Lord struck him. It's an incurable disease. And then you keep reading and you see a really super gross way he dies, like really super gross. Uh, and so don't mess with the Lord. And if a prophet sends you a letter. Uh, Read it twice, right? Let's be sure, be careful who you listen to, right? Can I just say that again? Um, verse chapter twenty-two, uh, Ahaziah is evil, uh, evil, evil, evil. She helps uh, Joram, she she's uh, and she's killed. That's a great thing, um, but this is the the mom. Uh, then after that, the, the mom rules. Mom's awful. She's the the daughter of Jezebel, right? This is a bad situation, bad scene. We talked about this a little bit when we we're going through our kings study. Um, then uh, uh, Jehoiada uh, was the the priest at the time he takes the son and saves his life remember that story Um, Ahaziah and this uh, had died this lady that is now ruling um, she is evil in the wrong place this priest rescues one of the sons of the line of David okay there's no more of the line of David this is this is like the peace that needs to be on the king on the throne and this woman has gone crazy. She's evil. She's trying to kill all the lines, so she's in total control. This priest rescues this son. This young boy rescues him, uh, hides him in the in the, the the temple in the in the great place of the worship of the Lord. And then the priest uh, finds a way to get this queen assassinated. Awesome story, right? Really great how this priest, you know. A priest's job has changed in the last 5,000 years, let's just say. Like, I, I cannot plan assassinations now and be okay with it. Like, but this, this, this priest could, and it was great, and it was amazing. Um, and then um, as, uh, as this great king, uh, Jehoiada, is the, the priest, he makes Joash the king. Joash repairs the temple of the Lord. It's a great move in chapter 23 and 24, uh, and he repairs the temple. He is, he is faithful. He's a faithful king. Joash is a faithful king until um, the priest dies. As soon as the priest dies, he's unfaithful, and then the king gets assassinated. I think that's pretty interesting, right? The king was a part of this. this the way he got in the throne was because of an assassination. Now he is assassinated. Uh, And then we see in chapter 25, uh, Amaziah is um, somewhat faithful. He starts out faithful, and this is a good thing. It's great. Defeats Edom in this wonderful scene in chapter 25. Um, But then ultimately, he is unfaithful, which is, be careful who you listen to, right? Uh, He becomes unfaithful. Uh, Then he's defeated by uh, the northern tribe. So he ends up dying. Then chapter 26, we see Uzziah. Uh, Uzziah comes in and reigns. Uzziah followed the Lord. Uh, we know Uzziah. This, was, um, this is the king that uh, at, at the point Isaiah is called to ministry when Uzziah dies, right? Isaiah chapter 6. Um, Uzziah is, in the, is on the throne, and he's faithful and good and great until he gets prideful and arrogant. Then he does the thing that, that no, no king should do. He tries to step in and be a priest. He, he, he doesn't follow the law of the Lord. He goes into the temple and tries to perform priestly duties. When he does, God strikes him with leprosy. So Uzziah has leprosy uh, he, because of his unfaithfulness. Uh, just awful, serious, serious, bad thing. We read that in chapter 26 of Second Chronicles uh, because he was prideful and arrogant. Then we see in chapter 27, uh, this other king, Jotham, uh, he reigns in Judah, we see that he's faithful, he's prosperous, he's successful in battle. All right, this is great. We're moving in the right direction again, Judah. Here we go. Yeah, let's make it happen again. And then we read chapter 27, or chapter 28, where Ahaz is reigning. Ahaz is, uh, worships false gods. Um, he is defeated in battle. He allies with Assyria um, and becomes even more unfaithful. You know, whenever you make an ally with an enemy, um, you, you're not going to make the enemy any better, right? Uh, you're the one that lowered your standards. They didn't raise theirs. And as I look through the Second Chronicles, again, this, this kind of, and I know that we're rushing through this, but as, we, as you get towards the end, you can almost see this just slow decay. Even there's a moment of revival. There's a moment of, hey, let's bring, the, let's bring Passover back. This is great. Oh, now we're going to... Do, oh, hey, let's bring this back. Oh, it's... Oh, no. Oh, no. We just keep... It looks like Judah, throughout their time, just overall just keeps lowering their standards a little bit. And whenever they ally with someone that has lower standards than them, their, the, the enemy didn't raise their standards. We lowered ours. The people of God lowered theirs. So we see that in chapter 28. Well, then, I, I say all that because chapter 29 gives us a little bit of a, of a new chapter. In, in the book of the story of Judah. This is King Hezekiah. Hezekiah uh, reigns in Judah. Um, his reign uh, goes from... There's four chapters specifically about him in 2 Chronicles, and three of these chapters talk about the revival that happened under Hezekiah's reign. Now, if you remember, in, we talk about the difference in Kings and Chronicles. This is a very important thing. In the book of the Kings... Hezekiah's revival that happened under his, under, his, under his reign was only listed in three verses in the Kings. Three verses. But in the book of the Chronicles, it's given three chapters. So, again, you may be in the middle of your story, and you're writing, and it's hard to write how beautiful and how great the good works of God is. But whenever you look back on what God did, you'll begin to write, you'll begin to write more about what you saw him doing and you didn't even realize it was him doing it, right? I, I was looking back through um, this last year, a lot of my, my dad's belongings and a lot of his uh, journals, a lot of his um, uh, just writings, poetry. He, he, had, he wrote so much. He wrote so much. I went back and looked through the old bulletins, right, that had the message from Mark on the back, right, and I was reading the message of Mark stuff. Um, I was working with our prayer team a couple of weeks ago now, um, Saying that, as I look through the history of New Providence, since 2018, there's been something that's been going on in the church. Don't know what it is? And nobody knows what it is. I don't know. Um, it just seemed as though, from 2018, there was a sort of a darkness that just really kind of began to uh, I don't, I don't want to say oppress our people, because I don't think that our people are oppressed. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, but I'll be honest, what I did was I went back and looked through my dad's old stuff from 2018. I was like, did the pa- was the pastor going through something? You know, was, was something happening? Was something happening? And I realized that there was all kinds of things that were happening that he was writing about that he didn't know what he was writing about. Now, all this is going to probably come out in the next couple of weeks, the more I'm seeing and experiencing what God was really, how God has really been moving and working. But, you know, he used to write these books of remembrances every year, and it was remembering what God had done in, the pre- in that, that previous year. And... He would, I'd go back and look at a journal entry or a message from Mark or something, and I would see that in the middle of it, this is great, this is awesome. And he was the greatest cheerleader. He was the most—you you talk about an encouraging, like, happy guy. That dude was happy all the time. Like, I, if he was ever not happy, like, we all knew it. You know what I'm saying? It was like, oh, it is, he is, there is a problem in the house today. You know, there is an issue. Um, but he, always super positive, always super encouraging. So I would go and read— uh, something that he had written during the during the time that he was going through it And then I would read that book of remembrance and it was like it was almost like you would shine a light and expand What his moment was in the middle of it and I looked at my own life And I thought do I do that? I was like surely I'd take better notes than he did <laughs> You know obviously I he, he taught me better than this and I realized that um, in I look back at a moment um, that I had written about in my journal and uh, my wife was really sick, and she was in the hospital for uh, four or five days, and fever was bad, couldn't, wouldn't go away, and we we had, uh, this was, this was 12 years ago, and 13 years ago now, Um, and I I look back, and, and, and I was writing each day from that, from those, those moments, and in the days, it was like, I was writing through, through, Teardrops, right? Like you can, and you can't write. It doesn't make sense. There was misspellings. There was all kinds. Of, I was like, I don't even know what I'm saying here. Did I write this or did somebody from another country write this in another language? Like it's so hard to figure it out. And then I remember I, I, I'd flipped through and seen something that he had, that I referred back to it. And when I referred back to it, when I was in the middle of it, man, this is hard. This is difficult. This is a struggle. My wife's fever has been here. They can't get it to come down there's, there's possible. The, the doctor said there'll be brain damage potentially if we can't get this taken care of because it's been too long at too high at too this at too this, and I remember writing in a lot of stress, you know, and then then I, I looked and I saw five years later, I wrote about the instance, and when I wrote about it, I referred to the facts of what was going on, but when I wrote about it, I thought I could not see the hand of God. I got a message in, in, in this, um, I was in the, I was in the drive-thru of Arby's. I don't eat Arby's anymore. I was in the drive-thru of Arby's, uh, with my infant in the back and, um, my wife was in the hospital. This, again, this is 13 years ago. It's forever ago. But I remember I was in the drive-thru and I just, I was just like, God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, you got a you gotta heal her. You gotta, like, do you even hear me? Like, I remember saying that question, do you even hear me? I got a message on my old phone back then I don't even know how it came through. It was on Facebook or something. And it was a missionary from Haiti that we had gone there as a church when I was here as a youth pastor. We had gone to Haiti. This missionary that was there sent me a message. Didn't know anything going on. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Did not know. I hadn't spoken to this guy in nine months. He didn't know my story. I didn't post stuff on Facebook. Nothing. He sends me this message that was all broken English. But I'm telling you, that broken English was sweet-sounding to my ears because he said it was, it was simply a message that said, Love you, brother, and then it had a, a scripture. The scripture was out of Isaiah, and it said, "The Lord hears you, and the Lord will not forsake you." And I was like, "I'm in the drive, I'm in the parking lot, Arby's. I'm in the drive-through. I'd already ordered. I, by the time the lady's handing me my food, I tears pouring down my face. And she's like, "Are you okay, sir?" I was like, "I've never been better in my life." I drove to the hospital. My wife was sitting in there, stressed out, nervous. And I walk in, and I was like, "It's gonna be okay." The doctor comes in, checks the temperature, temp, fever's gone. I was like this, is like, this is like God doing something that I had no idea. Now, in the middle of it, guess what? I forgot to write down the great victory that happened in the middle of it. I forgot to write down all, I, because I was so confused. And so when I, when I look at the book of Second Chronicles, in the, specifically in the season of Hezekiah, Hezekiah wasn't perfect. I want to get it, make sure everybody knows it. Hezekiah was not a perfect guy. He made, he made a couple of bad deals, I feel like. He did a couple of things where he doubted the Lord a lot, but God used him in a great way because he, he, we see in this book of the, of the Second Chronicles, he restored proper worship back to the temple. He keeps the Passover in Jerusalem, right? He reinstituted the Passover. He breaks down all the idols. He organized the tithes and the offerings. We see this in these chapters that follow, uh, chapters 30 and 31, and uh, then we see in 32, this battle that takes place. Now, there have been a lot of preparations, right? And a lot of seeing the Lord do something before this great battle comes in. The Great battle comes in and we know this story. It's a powerful, awesome story. The, the walls of Jerusalem about to be attacked. He prays, the people pray. Um, Sennacherib is the guy, blasphemes. We see this just awful, crazy... Amazing thing that happened. The, the a death angel came in, wipes out the enemy. God fought the battle for him. Amazing, incredible story. But as we see, it, it continues in the, the next chapter, in chapter 32, at the end, it talks about the achievements of Hezekiah and what great things had happened. But I just think about, um, and again, and I encourage you to read all about that. Is It's some great revival that broke out in the people of God and the people of Judah. But ultimately, like what I'm taking away from it is. Just as I share that story with you, um, I don't know what you're in the middle of, but I'll tell you this, God's, God's overruling. Um, we see in the Kings a lot about man ruling. We see, man, we see in the Chronicles God overruling. God doing things from above that we can't see in our time. We can't see in our moments. I don't know why God did the things he's done in my life over the last two years. Don't know. Still find myself angry about it sometimes, just being perfectly honest. But I know that I'm writing things down now. And from what I'm writing down now, it seems like God can be kind of mean. Like if you were to read my journal from about 18 months ago, you think God's mean. Like he, he would take things from people. I don't understand. And I get it. He gives and takes away. Okay, I'll sing that song. You know, He gives and takes away. I get it. Like it's, he, he does that. And he can do whatever he wants to do. And I, can't, I, can, I can ask him questions, but I'm not going to question him. Like I'm not going to do it because he's right. His ways are perfect. They're higher than my ways. His word is, is proven true. And I'm, my job is to prove his word true over and over and over again. I'm going to live it out and show that his word is right. And when I read the Chronicles and when I see these things that happen, I'm like, I don't ever want to write. I don't ever want to think that the story is finished whenever I'm writing it in the middle of it, right? I want to I be able to look back and say, oh, here's the things I didn't see that God was doing. Here's whenever I, whenever I was at this church as a teenager, graduating from high school, and this church began going to World Changers, and I did not know my first trip to World Changers, God was going to change my heart, and He was going to call me to serve on World Changer staff, and He's going, and let me tell you, I had to go through this interview process. It was a lot of work. I was away from my family. I was away from my church all that summer. While I was away from that church, while I was away from the church, the cross went up that summer while I was gone all year, and. I, but that, that year, there was a lot of trouble, a lot of, a lot of difficulty. If I was writing you the story, from, and they, that's when they encouraged us, it was back in 2002, they encouraged us to write a journal every day of the summer. And I thought, eh, you know, and I'd written a little bit, but that was really where, because, and, it, and I look back at that summer, my, I, I don't know what all God's doing here today, but I do know that he's working. I don't know what he's doing. I don't. I'm not going to tell you that in the middle of it that I see something, that I'm telling you that's all he's doing. Because more than likely, it's not all he's doing. He's doing way more. He called me into the ministry that summer. He, he told me to surrender and be a pastor. That's what he told me that summer. I, I surrendered and said yes. And when I did, by the end of that summer, my wife was serving on another team somewhere else, and she saw me and said, ooh, that boy's good looking. That's what she said. And then, so next thing you know, I found my wife. I found my, my kids are, are a result of faithfulness. Now, I, I couldn't have told you that. I couldn't have told you that when I was there. I couldn't have told you that my daughters are going to be this great women, these great women of grace. I, no, I saw a pretty girl. I was like, hey, listen. And, and at the end of that summer, she was introducing herself to me. I was introducing myself to her. And I was like, i got to tell her I've just been called to ministry. Like, ugh, this was, I don't know how this is going to feel. I don't know how this is going to go. You know? and, but God began to work. God was working all that out. Like, don't think that your story is written even though you've already experienced everything in your life. Maybe we didn't see what God was really doing. The next couple of chapters, as the book finishes up, uh, we see Hezekiah's reign, all this great revival. Then we see um, in chapter 33, uh, his son Manasseh ends up building idols, like building idols. He gets captured. He repents. It's awful. It's bad. He does evil, though. Uh, and then the one who, who follows him, his son, he's evil. He's um, Josiah, at the very end, in chapters 34 and 35, King Josiah gives a little hint of revival again, uh, re- is faithful, rebuilds, keeps the Passover, rebuilds the temple, finds the book of the law. It's all great. He dies in a battle. It's a scary, awful thing. Then chapter 36, as second Chronicles ends, um, what we see is the great decline of Judah, um, but it, it also fast-forwards. Um, there's something pretty amazing that it does in the book of the Chronicles. Um, I, I, read, I wrote it down this way. Um, it says that, uh, I wrote down, Judah had several godly kings, especially Hezekiah and Josiah, but it still declined into sin. Still, God remained faithful to his people. And the book closes, as it closes, it jumps ahead several years, right? Because the, the Chronicles were all about what happened pre-exile, well, then this last part of chapter 36 is, is what the king said that released them from exile, right? So there's a big gap in these, in these just a couple verses, big gap in years, like several, several, several years. And it, then it gives a cl- the closing of the Hebrew Old Testament is what it says in chapter 36. And again, how it, how it ends, um, which, is, which is beautiful. And we talked about last week a little bit, how, how it ends... Uh, is by the proclamation of Cyrus, who was uh, Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. It says, The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Verse 23 of Second Chronicles 36. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and has, changed me, has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever among you of all his people, whoever is among you, of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And as we said, at the end of the Hebrew Bible, if you turn the next page, it turns to the book of Matthew. And the very first question in the book of Matthew that is asked in chapter two, verse number two, the wise men show up and say, "Where is he, who is born?" king of the Jews. And that's, that's a good transition point. Cyrus, the king of Persia, says, who among you is worthy? And then the next page, where is he that was born king of the Jews? Because he's worthy. He is the one that is worthy. Um, I hope you are encouraged today by Second Chronicles. Um, yes, there are some struggle in it, there's some difficulty in it, but there is something really, really beautiful really, really beautiful, about seeing what God was doing the whole time. He's good. And my last word to you is, be careful who you listen to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today, may we be found faithful. May we be found um, just in obedience to you. God, I want to thank you for Second Chronicles. I want to thank you for the Bible, the whole thing. It's all really, really great. Lord, I want to thank you that the Bible didn't end with the question, who is worthy? but yet we turn the page in the history books and we see where is that one that was born who is worthy? And then we just turn our eyes to him. Lord, this has been such an encouragement to me going through these these books thus far. And I pray that um, even though we're taking a couple weeks off, Lord, that you would bring us back here and allow us to jump in continually in your word. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word and your goodness today. We give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Again, we won't be here next week uh, or the week after, but um, I will make sure.